So as we're heading through the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 16, as we really continue the adventures of David, Absalom has won the hearts of the people as a slick politician. Remember all the things he was doing last week? David hears about it and he leaves Jerusalem rather than staying and allowing innocent people to die. So he takes off running. But this also becomes, I think, a fulfillment of what Nathan told him when he had committed adultery and murder. And please understand that even in that prophecy, it wasn't to destroy David, but to further correct him or to grow him. That's what we're going to see here, just a chipping away of the flesh. Absalom has entered Jerusalem. David has his three spies presence. present. We see that in the last verse in chapter 15. And tonight we find David traveling down the backside of the Mount of Olives away from Jerusalem. And when you travel that way, all that's out there is desert. So he's heading to the desert, something that he's familiar with. And yet this has to be a low point in his older age life. So kind of put yourself in David's shoes here for a moment. You know, you, you've been out, you've been working all day, your kid has risen up against you, and as you come home from work, they tell you, the parent, that they're in charge and you need to move out. That's what's happening here. And David, the man after God's own heart, isn't saying put, he's moving out. Verse 1, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, stop the wonder bread, 100 clusters of raisins, stopped at the fruit store, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. That better be a big skin, because otherwise um, they're going to get thirsty. But remember we were first introduced to Mephibosheth back in chapter 9. He was Jonathan's son, or Saul's grandson, and when David found out that he was alive, he brought him into his palace. He restored everything that was his grandfather's back to him. And David also told him, hey, from now on, you're going to eat at my table all the days of my life, the king's table. And, and so remember the custom of the day was execute all children of the past king so there wouldn't be any uprising. But that's not what David did. David wanted to show kindness on behalf of Jonathan, and he extends that kindness and mercy to Mephibosheth. So here is Jonathan's son's servant, Ziba, extending that same mercy back to the king now that he is in need, and at the same time telling him that Mephibosheth is looking to take over. In other words, Ziba is throwing Mephibosheth under the bus. He's going to get some tire tracks on him. So David hears that another trusted friend is turning their back upon David in a time of need. That's what he hears. At least that what it, that's what it appears to be. The reality is, is Ziba is a weasel. No, actually, I think he's more than a weasel. He's a slithering snake. You know, ungodly men and women with agendas are dangerous things within the house of God. Because when we get into chapter 19, when David returns to Jerusalem, 
We're going to find an opposite story of the details we're going to read in the next three verses. So someone is lying. Either it is Mephibosheth in chapter 19, or it is his servant Zeba right here. I tell you what, put your money on Zeba, the snake that is lying, and you're going to make some money here. But for now, David doesn't know that. And the king said to Zeba, what do you mean to do with these? So Zeba, the slithering weasel, said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, where is your master's son? You know, the crippled one that's going to seek to kill my son Absalom. Remember, he's crippled. And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. So you decide, is Ziba making up a story, seeking to find favor with David? And I, my answer is absolutely, I think so. Here's a man that's trying to seek personal gain during a time of crisis. We call that price gouging today when people in need and the gas prices go up or other supplies. And, I, and it's just one of the many reasons why I love this state. They go after those guys quickly after hurricanes when they fight, find out about the price gougers. And that's really what Zeba's doing here. He's seeking a profit off of David's need. Or is Mephibosheth lying when the two of them meet again in chapter 19? Read ahead. It's not too hard to figure it out. I believe David is making a judgment here, though, based upon wrong information from Ziba. And if you think about it, it's really easy to make wrong decisions based upon wrong information that you have. I, I know I've been guilty of that in the past. You know, this is the only information you have, so you make a decision only to find out the information was really only partially true, and then you realize you need to backtrack and seek to reverse the decision and make it right. So stay tuned. Uh, David's going to change what he tells this guy here. Now, when King David came to Barum, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul. So somehow this guy's related, whose name was, we're going to change his name to Shai Me I, because it's all about me, double I here, the son of Gera coming from there. He came out cursing continuous, continuously as he came. So another coward seeking to add pain to David's misery. And he threw stones at David. Now, he, this guy is not very bright. He threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. Notice what it says here. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So David's in the middle. I'd imagine some of the guys on the left side, when he throws a stone at them, they just go, and it comes flying back. At them. That way they didn't really throw it. They just kind of defended themselves. But this guy ain't too bright. He's on one side of a cliff. David's on the other side with his bad boys all around him. And remember the deeds of the mighty men? There was Joab, and we've read about his deeds. 
How about Joshua? He had lifted up his spear against 300 and killed them all by himself at one at one time. He could take this guy out just by, you know, barely even, uh, you know, raising his blood pressure. Or Eleazar, the son of Dodo, he stationed himself in the middle of a field with others and defended it and killed the Philistines as all of his countrymen fled. However, my personal favorite is Adino. Joshab Bashabeth, the Tecmonite, chief among captains, he was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And David's surrounded by these guys. And here's this guy winging rocks and curses at David and his mighty men. I'm sure one of these guys could have thrown a spear without even breaking stride or breaking a sweat. But David is exhibiting great self-control, placing his life in the hands of his God because he wants to teach his men something here. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. Seriously? In whose blood you have, in whose place you have reigned? No, Saul did all of that without anybody's help. So he's wrong there in the accusation. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you're caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Now, if that was true, he'd be dead already. So Shai-Mei, who it's all about, is wrong again. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, who is tired of dodging the dude's rock, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please, let me go over and take off his head. <laughs> Telling you, make a great soap opera. But the king said, what am I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? At least that's how David viewed life. And that's how you and I should view life. God holds us in the palm of his hand. Whatever gets at it is because God has allowed it. And so David's open to the Lord's work in his life, even if it's through a raving lunatic. And David said to Abishai and all of his servants, as he redirects their focus, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Before you answer, you got to look at your own life. Do I believe that? Do we think this way? See, David looks at the persecution and says, leave him alone and let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. Yeah, I mean, he's just resting in the fact of the, of the details of the day. He's resting. And he's receiving rather than fighting back. Isn't that what Jesus demonstrated? As a, as a shear before, a sheep before a shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so here David, the man after God's own heart. So if I want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, then this is, this is the course for today. You just zip it. And you realize the Lord's ordered this for the destruction of your flesh. They're cursing at me. They're throwing stones at me. 
So leave them alone. Pay them no mind. God is in complete control. I hope we can all see how easy it would be for David to take vengeance on this guy. He wouldn't even get his heart rate up, but he doesn't. David leaves it all up to the Lord. Today's lesson, at least one of many, and you got to learn it. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. So here is David in complete, complete commitment and submission to his Lord. Maybe God will have mercy on me. Maybe God will repay me with good. It's a great place to camp out rather than trying to give people back your justice. Why not rest in God's mercy? And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei, like the Everody bunny that never quits, went along the hillside opposite him and kicked up dust like pig pen. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary. Remember that? So here they are, they're running for their lives. They became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. They take a rest stop as the story shifts back to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with them. Remember Ahithophel? And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, David. Long live the king, David. So Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? This was the old guy, remember, that wanted to flee with David when David first left? But David told him, hey, go back because you're old. You're going to slow me down. Plus, you can be the one who, who's going to give advice to contradict Ahithophel. So let me ask you, what king do you think Hushai has in mind here when he says, long live the king, long live the king? Keep in mind, he's a spy for David. And Hushai said to Absalom, no, but whom the Lord said, but whom the Lord and his people and this people and all the men of Israel choose his, I will be and with him, I will remain. Okay, but you really haven't declared allegiance yet. <laughs> if you look at it, look at verse 18, pretty neutral statement there. You can take it any way you want depending upon whose side you're talking to. So whoever the Lord has chosen is the one I want to serve. And Absalom, who is so vain, is thinking Hushai is talking about him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I've served in your father's presence? So I will be in your presence. <coughs> and he's going to serve all right. He's going to serve by seeking to undermine Absalom's reign as he lies to him as any good spy would. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give counsel as to what we should do. Remember Ahithophel was David's dear friend, one of his chief supporters and counselors and advisors that David wrote a psalm about because he had betrayed him. We talked about that. And now here he is now seeking to give counsel against his friend David. They had looked at what Ahithophel said as the voice of God. And in the same breath, this is what Nathan the prophet foretold. So Absalom is seeking what God has in store for them to do. And, and bitter 
because he is Ahithophel, looking for some payback, said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines. So he has no regard for these women. Go into your father's concubines so there'll be no going back. You know, he's thinking, man, if he does this, he'll be an abomination in his father's eyes. He's got to go forward. Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. I mean, the people are going to know that you're all in, man. You're not going to turn back, cut it and run, but you're all in. That you're called by God, or so they thought. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house so that everyone could see. You know, and so, I, I don't know, Absalom maybe gave a little wave at the people before walking in with one of David's concubines. And Absalom, as we get a picture of his ugly heart, went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel even as Nathan had foretold to David back in chapter 12, as he, Absalom seeks to establish, listen, Absalom seeks to establish his right to the throne through immorality. Crazy. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So except that the Lord God honored and answered David's prayer back in chapter 15, verse 30, 31, where David asked that Ahithophel's counsel could be turned into foolishness. Well, here it is right here, foolishness in action. And it bleeds into the next chapter as well. So we get a great look at the fruit of bitterness in action here, team. It's the advice of Ahithophel to Absalom. See, he was willing for these women to be violated in this way, that he might find some sort of sick satisfaction at getting back at David. And it's recorded for all of us to see. You kind of find out who your real friends are when the heat's turned on. So next chapter, moreover, bitter Ahithophel filled with foolish counsel with David's prayer. Yet it seems like good counsel, like the best counsel, but it's going to be received to Absalom as foolish. So Ahithophel said to Absalom, now let me choose 12,000 men. And I'll rise and pursue David tonight. It's a fruit of bitterness right here. Rather than repenting, seeking forgiveness, it grows into murder. I will come upon him while he's weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will, free, will flee. Yeah, I don't think the mighty men are going anywhere. And I will strike only the king. At least you know who the king is. But yeah, I doubt if you'll personally know that good, that you're going to get close to David. Then I will... Bring back all the people to you when all return except the man whom you seek. All the people will be at peace. Some friend. I mean, if you have friends like that, who needs enemies? But this is what a picture of bitterness of heart looks like. So what causes a man or a woman to act this way? Where, where does the bitterness begin? What causes a man to want to kill his friend? Well, remember some 10 plus years earlier, David's actions had set this root of bitterness in motion when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But rather than Ahithophel rejecting it and kicking it out and going to David saying, you sinned against me, seeking to make it right and asking for forgiveness, he doesn't. See, bitterness is slick and deceitful and slow growing. It will destroy you. It's like murder 
in your heart. And only Jesus can remove the bitterness from one's heart. But Jesus needs the willingness on our part for permission to work in our hearts. We looked at 2 Samuel 23, 34 and 2 Samuel 11, 3 last week as to why he's a bitter. Remember what it was? Those, those verses tell us that Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Ahithophel. So Ahithophel had good cause to be bitter towards David, or so he thought, but he handles it all wrong. Remember, Jesus taught us that we're to forgive those who owe us 42 bucks because we've been forgiven the 42 or the 52 million. So it's not an option to the child of God. The first counsel that Ahithophel gives to Absalom is to publicly disgrace his dad. Take his wives and lie with him. When you do this, all the people will know that there's no turning back when you publicly disgrace your dad. That way you're going to tell people you're all in, the root of bitterness. The second counsel is Ahithophel himself wants to be the instrument to take off David's head, to take his life. So give me 12,000 choice men, and I will personally be the one that kills David only. Again, the fruit of bitterness that's stored up in the heart. And Ahithophel is seeking to act upon it. And yet the Bible teaches us that a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit or bitterness dries up the bones. We find in the New Testament, actually, why don't we look, to, look at it? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, just for a minute. Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Yeah, many become defiled because one person with bitterness can infect a whole lot of people. It'll trouble you at first, but it's going to bring defilement to many. See, you cannot love God and hate your brother. There's no truth in that. If you say things like that, I really love them, and then seek to destroy them or assassinate the character in any way, shape, or form, even in the slightest detail, you are deceiving yourself. You really hate them. you gotta get, you got to ask Jesus to change your heart. I mean, until you confess it and get real with God, that bitterness is going to go on and on and get worse and get worse and get worse, just like what happened to Hithfeld. Some 10 years later, he's acting upon it. 10 years. I know people who are bitter at their parents and their parents are dead and buried. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Other than let go and let the Lord change your heart. Unconfessed bitterness always leads to shortened death, both spiritually and physically. Plus, you're not being honest with yourself if there's bitterness in the heart. And yet the problem with bitterness is that it just doesn't affect you, but affects all those around you. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Oh yeah, pastor, but it's true. No, it's evil speaking because it doesn't edify your brother or your sister, or the person you work with, or the lost person down the street. All of that stuff because of bitterness. All the sayings of Ahithophel because of bitterness in his heart pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel 
who were seeking to take over the kingdom. And it was a good plan. And it would have worked if, and it's a big if, if he could get past the mighty men of David, all 37 of them. I find it hard to believe that all 37 would desert David right when the 12,000 men showed up. I don't know, maybe they would have. Then Absalom said, as David's prayer is answered again, this time through a second opinion, now call Hushai the archite also, and let's hear what he has to say about the matters. Now, Hushai will use fear and ego to feed the flesh of Absalom as the plot thickens. Because when Hushai hears what Ahithophel is proposing, no doubt in, uh, 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 in Hushai's heart, he's thinking, man, that's going to work. And so, but he, you watch, he uses fear and ego. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. And so remember, Ahithophel spoke the wisdom of God. Not that God wanted David killed, but that when he was asked as what he should do, they didn't hear the wisdom of man, but they heard the wisdom of God. And Hushai knows that. And as he's listening to this plan, somewhere in his mind, he's going, man, it's going to work. So when given the opportunity to speak up, he's going to play off the fears and doubt of Absalom and his men. And he's really going to cause them to think, not about the present, but about the past. Because fear and doubt will always destroy God's wisdom. It makes one afraid to move. It makes them paralyzed because of the unknown. And all direction is left to human reasoning or leaning on the understanding of man instead of the wise counsel of God. So Hushai said to Absalom, verse 7, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. It was good. But like I said, Hushai is going to use fear and, and doubt to destroy the wisdom of God to save his king, just like the devil does and your flesh does, as it lies to you, and it lies to me. Verse 8, For said Hushai, as he seeks to paint a picture of the past for all people to dwell on, because if he was to paint a picture for the present, the people are, are desperate. Let's get him now. So he takes them to the back. Hey, you know your father and his men. Man, they're mighty men. And they are enraged in their minds like, right now, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. As the people start to go, oh, yeah, they kind of can be like that. And so fear sets in. Not really, though, because the people are dead tired, running for their lives. But they don't know that. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he's hidden in a pit or in some other place. Well, that's not true either. Remember that word from verse 14 in the previous chapter I told you to remember? How, what's their physical condition right now? They are all weary like dead tired from escaping. But Hershey doesn't paint that picture. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first, you know, because these mighty men of David, man, some of them are going to start dying right in the beginning. And whoever hears it will say there's a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. All speculation and imagine which feeds fear. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely when he hears about the slaughter, for all Israel knows, your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men, all fear. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you, seeking to gain time for his friend to escape. From Dan to Beersheba, I mean, that's going to take some time. It's going to take at least a week to bring people from the extreme north. 
from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you, you Absalom, you go to battle in vain as he feeds his ego again. Now, this is going to be the first battle we read of him being in. At least I've never found anything else. So, so we, as Hushai includes himself in this battle, so we will come upon him in some place where he may be found and we'll fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And, and of him and all of the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Again, it's fear because one mighty man could wipe out all of Absalom's counsel. Moreover, if he's withdrawn into a city, then all of Israel shall bring ropes to that city and we'll pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. Wow, strength in numbers, Absalom. So the two choices that Absalom has before him are Ahithophel leading the char with 12,000 men, hitting David when he's weak. Absalom stays home, but this plan requires faith, perseverance, and strength. Or that Absalom leads the charge with all Israel with him, so much so he'll be like the sand on the sea, and Absalom will get the credit because he's the one leading the battle, again, feeding his ego. One direction speaks of faith, trusting in God where God is glorified, and the other direction uh, speaks of trusting in the multitude of men for protection where man will be glorified. Pretty easy to see what advice Absalom is going to listen to, isn't it? He's already breaking the only commandment that has a promise of a long life and a good life. You know what commandment it is? Yeah, he's called to honor his father that his life may go well and prosper, but seeking to pick his own course of action and violating God's law, sudden destruction is lurking around the corner for this guy. So Absalom and all the men of Israel for the first time ever said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. That's, that had never happened before. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So Ahithophel's advice was the best, but the Lord made Absalom and his men act like fools. They're the ones that chose Hushai the archite. You know, the backstory commentary he added in here is God's still in charge here. we got to remember that. Remember, David had prayed, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So it wasn't Ahithophel's words that he spoke. No, but David's heart was turn, turn his counsel into foolishness to the hearers. So team, please don't forget to ask. I know it's obvious. But don't forget to ask others to ask. Ask people to pray for you when you when things are going on. I don't I don't understand why I don't want to let people know. There's a lady on our street. She's in the hospital. As soon as I see her, I've been I've been waiting to see her. It's like you're in trouble. <laughs> it's like man, you should have told me you're in the hospital. I could have came and prayed for you. Could I had a church pray for you. So you know you got to ask. I think so often we get in the middle of the battle and we just kind of. Try and manage it. No, you don't want to manage it. God's still in control, but you got to ask. Prayer moves God into action, people. It does. Let, my, let, let me be with my people's prayers, and I can do anything. Let me be without my people's prayers, and I can do nothing. Spurgeon wrote it. 
and it's biblical, and it's true. Prayer allows God to work and to move. God is answering that prayer by causing the men of Absalom to look upon the counsel of Ahithophel as foolishness. And so if you're in that situation today, hostile takeover, those closest to you seeking your life, you need to know that God's still in charge sitting on the throne. You know, don't try and manage life. Look up and ask and allow God to give you life. Verse 15, as David's spy network comes online here. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, and that would be cross over the Jordan River. You know, put a border between you and your son and man up and get ready because they're coming after you in about a week or so. Speedily cross over lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and then they would go and tell the King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them. Where did the lad come from? Well, no doubt it's the devil. I mean, the devil wants David destroyed. Why? Because then there's no Messiah. So total work of the devil in seeking to present the, prevent the Messiah from coming by destroying David. And just so happened because, you know, he never quits. He's always roaring, looking for those whom he can devour. So, you know, just, you know, there's a lad out there kind of playing guns or whatever they did back then. And he saw them, and he came and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Barum. And see, David still had his allies. The whole country was not following after Absalom. I'd imagine many you know, were disgusted when they heard what Absalom had done with David's concubines. And so this man had a well in his court, in his courtyard, and they went down into it. Then the woman, so it's kind of a family affair here, took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread grain on it so that, you know, and so that it wasn't known. So the chickens are sitting there pecking on the covering of the well, you know. And, and when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are Himaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, they've gone over the water brook. Well, they're lying. Yeah, to save life. I'm good with that. Now, before any self-righteous person condemns me, if you have children in your home and some crazed, crazy, crazy, you know, uh, cracked out meth head shows up at your door with a gun and says, is anybody else home? Are you really going to say, oh, yes, my kids are hiding upstairs in the closet? So you're going to lie, too. So, And when they'd searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan because of the advice of that Hushai the spy had given. 
By morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. So in spite of all of the crazy circumstances and trying times, please don't miss that God is still orchestrating all of the events of the day. And David is now has this, this hedge, this Jordan River between him and Absalom. And if God can do it for David on the run, then you need to know that God can and desires to do the same for you and I today. He doesn't need us to help him fight our battles. You just got to let him. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. So he killed himself because he didn't take his, they didn't take his advice? No, I don't think so. He killed himself because he knows Absalom's going to fail. He knows David's going to return. And here's the problem. He doesn't, because of this bitterness in his heart, he doesn't understand about the mercy and the forgiveness of God and second chances of God. So he takes his own life. Would David have offered him mercy and forgiveness? We'll never know. Now, for the record, and I'm willing to debate the topic as long as you're willing to use your Bible, murder or suicide is murder of self, but murder, but but suicide is not the unforgivable or unpardonable sin. And I know Christians have these varying opinions about it, but you got to use your Bible. Okay, you got to show me. You got to show me where it says suicide is the unpardonable sin. And then we'll have a conversation. But you can't just come up and, and give me your opinion. We know because we've read our Bibles that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. We know that. We also know that Jesus has come, that they may have life and they may have it abundantly, John 10.10. 10. But when people give in to the lies and the deception, the devil does exactly what Jesus said he would do. He kills and destroys. But I will say this. Suicide is the cheap, selfish, easy way out. Absolutely. It centers itself on self. But I have not read anywhere it is the unpardonable sin. And if you have, please enlighten me because I'd like to know where that is. Verse 24. Then David went to Manahem, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan. So that's good for his ego. He's coming after David, but bad because he's lacking any formal military experience. I, I don't think I've ever seen Absalom go out to battle. So here he comes, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jethra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zuriah, Joab's mother. So he was the son of one of David's nieces, another cousin of Joab's, which means Joab will murder him someday. Verse 26. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanam that Shobi, the son of 
Nahash from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, Machar the son of Amiel from Lodibar and Barzillai the Gileite from Rogalum or I'm sure I just I mean I don't even have to remind us I just butcher all that stuff but these guys get their name in the book because Jesus said it's better to give than receive And, and they get their name in their book and they brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds. There you go, Mike. Probably some pumpkin seeds there. <laughs> Honey and curds and ways, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, they came to this conclusion. The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. No one told them they needed to do that. But all of a sudden you hear David's on the run. He's heading to the wilderness. There is nothing out there, like nothing. And so here these guys take it upon themselves. And see, this, this is why Hushai said to wait and gather all Israel together and then attack. Because David had nothing. Now, David and his men had some time to recuperate. No doubt they were weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Now, these men here, please notice, these are not mighty warriors. But a sub supply convoy of provisions for David's men. Both are necessary for the battle to be won. And they needed them badly, as if manna from heaven. So there's those that are in the fight, and there's those guys running the convoy. You know, my dad in the Korean War, he was just a truck driver. But he wasn't just a truck driver, because I'm sure he drove in crazy places. He, he was a truck driver that was, was the first camp into the prisoner of war camps that brought Americans out. But he was a truck driver, even though I'm sure they had him driving crazy places. But both are necessary. You, you know, you, you got to have the guys with the provisions, and you got to have the guys that are eating them to go fight. And so here, they, here we are. We got all of this being brought as, like I said, manna from heaven. So it's a great picture of investing God's goodness back into God's people. And Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. Lord, how you've invested so much into us. And God, use us. Lord, to pour out and invest back into your kingdom. And so we thank you, Lord, for all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, keep us in that place. Lord, fill us.